Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Today's guest is Bonnie Harris, a New Hampshire-based director of Connective Parenting, where she's a parent educator, counselor, coach, and speaker. She wrote two parenting books, When Your Kids Push Your Buttons and Confident Parents, Remarkable Kids, Eight Principles for Raising Kids You'll Love to Live With, which I love that title. (laughs) And she has her own podcast called Tell Me About Your Kids, where anyone can listen in on her parent coaching sessions. Bonnie has a master's degree in early childhood education, and she's the proud mother of two adult children raised with her connective approach. So in today's episode, you'll hear Bonnie help us answer the question, how can we be more connected with the kids in our lives? So welcome to Safe Home, Bonnie. I'm really, really glad you're here. Thank you, Beth. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. Well, how old are your kids now? My kids are 44 and just about to turn 40 in about a week. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, happy (laughs) birthday to the one. Yes. A big number with the zero on the end. Tell me how your parenting and your occupation have coincided. Which came first, parenting or your education and your coaching and all that? How did that all combine? Parenting came first. I actually used to be an actress in New York City, and I wanted to be like Meryl Streep and have a nice private family and a wonderful career. And somehow that wasn't quite happening. (laughs) And it was very clear to me that I did not want to do that anymore. And I just loved having my, my son, who was my first, and decided that I wanted to do something in that area. So It took a little bit of time, but it was when my daughter was first born, four and a half years later, that I went back to school to get my master's. Yeah. Okay. So you were going to school while your kids were in school. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So when did you start implementing the connective parenting piece? Did you do that with your kids kind of automatically, naturally, or was it something you learned later? It was a combination of what I learned in graduate school of what I wanted to do when I realized how important parenting was to me. And I really learned most of it from my children and most of that from my daughter. Okay. My son, (laughs) my son was one of those piece of cake kids. Okay. If I had, if I had only, yeah, if I had only (laughs) had my son, I would have thought I was the best parent in the world and never uh, didn't need any work at all. He was uh-huh. just Mr. Easygoing, harmony uh-huh. kid. And uh, then, and I really, I thought, what are all these people having problems with? I don't get it. <laughs> and then my daughter was born. And for the first year, as she as an infant, she was ideal. She was just great. But Man, as soon as she started, about 11 months, as soon as she started to walk, Mm. was like everything changed. And she cut me off at the knees and I I just was lost. I had no idea what was going on. And a number of incidents happened that pulled me up short and made me realize 
I got to learn how to approach her differently than I'm doing. And so at that time, I had created a workshop. I'd created the Effective Parenting Workshop, which was just a smorgasbord of great parenting skills that Mm -hmm. people were, you know, getting a lot out of. And Mm -hmm. I realized here I am teaching these courses, helping parents to better communicate with their kids Mm -hmm. while I'm at home screaming with my daughter. (laughs) I I shouldn't say all the time, but she really, really pushed my buttons. And when things were good, I was fine. But when (laughs) things weren't good, I was awful. And of course, as most of us parents do, when we see how our child is demanding and pushing and and doing whatever they can in the moment to get us to pay attention to what they need, mm-hmm. we don't like that because no. they're doing it with, with what we would call naughty behavior or misbehavior. Yeah. And we think we've got to change that. And so we yell at it, we threaten it, we punish it, and we get into power struggles all uh. the time. Yep. And so I had to learn how to how to stop that. Yeah. And then you wrote a whole book about the buttons when your kids push your buttons. That's right. Oh, those buttons. And she was my teacher. <laughs> she still is. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. And back 39 years ago when she was a baby, what resources were available for you as a parent? Was anyone else talking about this kind of harmony kids and integrity kids like you talk about? No, it? that's no brand new. Not at all. From my graduate school and also when my son was very small, my husband and I joined a parenting group, which was really what kind of launched me. I just Uh, love talking uh, about parenting. And so I had a very, very good friend who, I mean, I became very good friends with the woman who ran the parenting group. And so... Yes, I had I had that. But I'll tell you, in terms of parenting, I learned some important things from books that I read when I was in graduate mm-hmm. school. But my graduate work was not what really fed me as much as just trial and error with my kids. With your uh, biology experiment right under your right. feet, right? Right. <laughs> Boy. Well, I'm, I'm 53 years old, so I'm trying to imagine... I'm just trying to think because this is absolutely not the way I was raised at all. And no fault of my parents. They were just doing the punishing, you know, withdrawing thing right. that people Me too. do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way we learned. So uh, I'm glad that there's new information out there and new philosophies being espoused because I think that created a lot of repressed kids and or very rebellious kids, I guess, depending on which way you go. Exactly. So I was the repressed one. And I'm Me too. Just still coming out of it. It's like, where am I in this whole situation? I don't know. I'm buried down here so deeply. I don't even know. So I think we've figured out that that doesn't work. <laughs> right. Let me add here that a very big part of my learning was learning about me. Mm-hmm. And as you, I was very repressed as a child, raised by a father who was very autocratic and Mm -hmm. a mother who was very ineffectual. She just Mm -hmm. didn't have any idea. Mm. So as a young adult, I got into therapy and actually that didn't, that didn't happen until after my son was born. Mm. And so I was in four years of therapy and I did 
another four years of personal growth workshops. And that's where I really learned about yeah. the psychology of relationships and how important mm. they are and and how to really work with them. So yeah. I would say probably that was my strongest learning other than my kids. I think everybody needs therapy. Just just go get uh -huh. it. Everybody. everybody. Yep. No matter what. Just go get some. It'll help you. It'll help your kids. It helps everybody. Yeah. <laughs> make it make it super normal. I think it's becoming more normal. And COVID made it easier to get to because you can now just call somebody or Zoom with them and you don't have to schlep into someone's office anymore. So do you feel like that Zoom therapy is not as good as regular in-person therapy? I think if you're doing really in-depth therapy, yeah. um, it person to person is probably better. I, of course, love it because my business as is sure. yours, uh, you know, it's all on zoom because yeah. after my books came out, I have clients, you know, basically sure. all over the world. So uh -huh. otherwise I would just have to stay to my local small town. Yeah. So it's wonderful. Yep. Maybe sometimes they could come visit you in person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So can you explain the harmony kids and integrity kids? These are terms you made popular. Yes, these are these are my terms. However, they are based on the terms the orchid child and the dandelion child, which is work of Dr. Thomas Boyce and many other scientific researchers who have worked around the globe. And I first read an article about the orchid and the dandelion probably 20 years ago in Atlantic Magazine, and it blew my socks off. Mm. It, it just like exploded. Everything that was, that was churning in me, everything that I mm. basically knew, but it put it into actual scientific work mm -hmm. and validated what I thought, because I always say I have the king of the dandelions and the queen of the orchids. <laughs> and now it's a book, The Orchid Child and the Dandelion Child, Why Children Struggle and How They All Can Thrive. Okay. And it's not a parenting book. It's about this scientific research. It's based okay. on epigenetics. Studies have been done on children, on monkeys, on dogs, on you name it. And what they have found is that one in five children are orchids. So the terms, as you can imagine, like the flowers, the dandelion, it's a flower that can grow up anywhere. It can do well, yeah. do very well no matter what. So the dandelion child, they have tremendous resources. They're, they can rise above a lot of horrible situations and do fine. And we all know them. And the orchid, like the flower, is so exquisitely sensitive to its environment. And that's Dr. Boyce's word. I love the way he puts it, exquisitely sensitive mm -hmm. to the environment, that it is all about the environment that determines whether this child is going to make or break. Ah. Right. And so it's the perfect nurture nature because, you know, the nature is the temperament of the child and then how that environment impacts on it. Yeah. 
So when the environment suits the needs of the orchid child, the orchid will bloom just like the yeah. flower and be exquisite and and just rise above all the dandelions and do remarkably. I think of them as the revolutionaries of the world. Mm -hmm. But when the orchid is not given the environment it needs, it can wither and die, not literally die, but um, spiritually die and never bloom, never reach its yeah. potential, yeah. right? And a lot of orchid children who are put into very pressurized situations have mental health issues, yeah. get into real trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this just became so intensely fascinating to me because I really specialized in talking about the temperaments of children okay. anyway. And so I came up with my own terms. If you think of dandelion and orchid as the two ends of the spectrum, mm -hmm. I brought it in a little ways, both ends. You know, I certainly didn't want to be presumptuous enough to be teaching Dr. Boyce's work, but it meant so much to me. And so I put my own emphasis on a lot of it. So the harmony child is very much like the dandelion. The harmony child is one who is very flexible, very easy to move and shift and do what is expected of the harmony child. One of the things that I talk about a lot, because most of what Dr. Boyce's work is about is the orchid. So the harmony child is one that you were just talking about, Beth, as yourself. The mm -hmm. harmony child is the one that everyone expects all children to be. Yeah, right. And we learn as parents, as adults, as teachers, often how to use them. And we use them to meet the adult's needs. Yeah. And so if I tell this child, you are making me have a headache, I can't stand it, uh, yeah. be quiet, go in the other room, then that child is going to do that. Yeah. If I punish that child, put that child in time out, if I do any of that, the child will do that. Mm -hmm. But what we don't see is the shame that is yes. created. Yes. But what we see is obedient behavior. Yeah. And so we think, obviously, this works. So that's why, you know, I am constantly saying, why, after all these years, are we still punishing children? I just read an article today about how there is a school system in Missouri that had banished corporal punishment and is now, now, today, reinstating it. What? Yes. Along with 18 other states that still use corporal no punishment. No way. And so we haven't learned. It's just a scandal. But punishment has never worked, will never work, and... We've got to understand why and how to do it differently, which is a process. Yeah, because the compliance people are getting from these Harmony kids is temporary compliance. Okay, all right, mm -hmm, I'll mm -hmm. do whatever you said. Right. But to what end? You know, how many of those Harmony kids end up with depression, anxiety? Exactly. Need to shame about this or that, their body or their 
career choice or I don't know, just how much angst do these Harmony kids go through? How much self-doubt? How many people out there listening have this feeling inside? Well, this, this is true for either integrity or harmony, but this emptiness inside of I'm not good enough. Yes. And it's just rampant. I mean, it's look at our society. We are a mess. We're a mess. Yeah. I call us the walking wounded, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So before we get to the integrity kids, mm -hmm. can you talk about the connective parenting? Because that's the connective parenting approach is what's going to keep that shame at bay, right? Right. Is that the right. whole point of it? Yes. So connective parenting really focuses on the parent mm -hmm. and the responsibility of the role of the parent. And this is why it's hard because most parents want their kids to change. Yeah, We want them to be the problem, not us. Right. And so we use these coercive manipulative tactics to get them to do what we want. So the connective approach is taking responsibility for my part of the relationship and allowing my child to take responsibility for his part mm -hmm. of the relationship. So it's about balance. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in the typical reward and punishment method, it's about hierarchy. Yeah. The parent is always, always the boss and the child is always, always mm -hmm. the victim, let's say. Yeah. So in the connective approach, it's not that you're equal. You still have parent authority mm -hmm. based on what your child should not be yet expected to do because of development, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have to, as a parent, make sure that your child does things that he or she should not be expected to want to do because he's a child, right? right. Okay. And then as the child grows, you want to slowly and gradually pull back your authority and turn it over to your child. So by the time he's 18, he leaves home as a full authority of himself. Yes, that's what we want. And how many children, how many children oh, are in that place? There's still 35 living at their parents' house because they never... <laughs> yeah. Never learned that. And a lot of parents don't want them to be gone. You know, maybe they say they do, but they oh, right. yes. really rely on their children to be completing them somehow. Right. Right. Like, and don't really want them to be gone and to completely independent. So because I need that yes. child in my life. Right. Yes. So so the balance is the midpoint in the continuum between the I always say autocratic because authoritarian doesn't quite do it for me. I think parents are authoritarian, you know, they're, they can be authoritarian and it's perfectly fine. But anyway, we use authoritarian uh -huh. in the literature as what I think of as autocratic okay. and then permissive at the other end. Uh -huh. And neither of those ends are right. right. So the needy parent tends to be much more permissive. Mm -hmm. Also, I found when I first started doing this work that so many parents were overly permissive because they were in reaction to their own parenting. Yeah, that generational thing, right? Yes. Getting and hit and whatever. Exactly. 
such strong authoritarianism. I'm not going to be like that. And they swing woo, right. so far the other way. So it's finding that balance in the middle, the gray area, mm-hmm. which is full of doubt, full of fears, full of not knowing. And parents don't like that. It's a very uncomfortable place to be. And the way you handle all of that is in relation to your child. I have what I call a connective approach that is what I call connective communication. And Mm -hmm. it's how you approach a child when you're wanting to make that connection. And it's not, I understand that you're angry, but you still have to come to the dinner table. That's patronizing. Your child hears that, but they know you don't mean that you understand. Mm -hmm. And all they hear is you have to come to the dinner table. So Uh, mm -hmm. it's much more really, truly understanding in your gut that not only do they not want to stop playing their video game or watching television or playing with their friends, they shouldn't want to leave that because they're kids, right? And so we've got to approach these kids with the expectation that, of course, I'm interrupting something. Yeah. And so it's with some consideration. This is the last thing in the world you want to do right now. I can see how involved you are. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. dinner's on the table. So How about if you just put a pause on that or you put the next block over here that you're going to put on your block tower or you do whatever you need to do so that as soon as dinner is over, you'll know exactly what your next move is. Mm -hmm. That's called being considerate of your child's agenda. Uh And the thing about agendas is we all have them. We have them. Our children have them. And what we need to understand is that... Our child's agenda is just as important to our child as ours is to us. Yes. And we wouldn't want someone saying, okay, you have to stop right now. Exactly. And go do something else. I mean, we would be like, you you know, we would probably say something really mean to someone that did that to us. Right. Which is what our childs are saying to us. They're like, no, I'm in the middle of this thing. I'm engaged. I'm fully in my body. My son was... uh, extremely physical and was like a monkey on the Mm. playground and it was very hard for him to leave and I would have to give him several warnings you know not warnings like you're going to get in trouble but okay Joe 10 minutes yes okay Joe five minutes okay Joe two minutes okay Joe one minute so he could get his mind wrapped around this fact that I'm gonna have to leave and they say yeah 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 but then it's it's still still hard hard when that moment (laughs) comes yeah And when you're trying to understand what's going on with a child who's behaving very unacceptably, Mm -hmm. you want to understand that it's the emotional state of the child that's provoking the behavior. The behavior, Mm -hmm. most of the time, I think I can say, you don't have to do anything about. Okay. If you connect with what is provoking that behavior, the behavior will okay. take care of itself. The behavior is your signal. It's your cue. Your child is throwing it at you to tell you what he needs because he has no idea what he needs yep. or how to tell you. So then it becomes our job to interpret that behavior. So anger or grief or when I saw that you hit your sister. What that told me 
was how furious you must have been with her to let your impulses get the better of you like that. I know you know. That's a toss-off. I know you know it. That's not what you want to do, or you know I don't want you to do that. So what that told me was how furious you must have felt mm-hmm. in that moment. So I'm connecting on that emotional level. Yeah. You're naming it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then he or she gets to tell me, yes, she never lets me do what I want to do. I hate her. I mm-hmm. don't want her around here anymore. Then you just take it in, listen. Wow. Yeah, that's really intense. Yep. You don't say, oh, we don't hate no, anybody. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because when you say we don't hate in this family, you're actually giving the message that your child doesn't belong in the family. Mm, pretty awful, ah, isn't it? Your feelings are not welcome. Ugh. But then once you've made that connection and you're acknowledging, 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 really heartfelt, not I understand that you're angry with your sister. That's patronizing and doesn't get very far. But when you do that acknowledgement and validation, then you move into problem solving. And that's what replaces any kind of need for punishment or taking away privileges or anything like that. Then we get into, so what do you think you can do next time when you get that angry? How do you think you're going to figure out that situation with your friend? What did you think about your grades? What's your plan? Uh-huh. Do you want to do you have a, an idea of what you want to do from now on? It's your child who needs to come up with these ideas. Yes, because they're the ones in the space living it yes. day to day, and they they've got to deal with whatever they yes. decide. <laughs> Yes. And we're always telling them. So usually what we do is when we want to know how our child is feeling and we want to dig that out, we do nothing but ask questions. Why did you do that? Why do you feel that way? How did that make you feel? What are you doing? Why did you hit her? Right. Mm -hmm. When we should be making statements. And then when we should be asking questions that's when we're making statements. You need to tell her, you have to do this. If you will just do blah, 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 blah. So then that's when we're telling them what we would do if we were in their shoes. And they're like, la, 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 la. I can't hear you. (laughs) Yeah. So we need to flip it around. So we need to be validating and say, I see that you're whatever. And ah, that must feel terrible. And then the other part, after you get past the validating the feelings, you say, what do you think we should do about this? Right. Or what, what are a couple of solutions you have in mind? Or The basic rule of problem solving is you want X, I want Y. How do we make this work so we both get what we want? Okay. And that takes you to a resolution and a compromise. You're not always going to find it. Yeah. But if your child demands this or that, you can say, hmm, that doesn't work for me. Or you're doing it with a sister and the sister says, no, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. You have to keep going oh, until okay. everyone agrees. Okay. So the kid doesn't always get their way. The parent doesn't no, always get right. their way. You got to find something that works because we're all humans. They're all learning right. together. It's not everyone must do it my way. And it's not the opposite where the kid just runs the whole situation. That's not 
probably good either. Right. No, no, no. I've seen that happen. (laughs) And it takes a lot of confidence as a parent to do this Mm -hmm. well, because it's it's really about, I want to hear your side of the story. I want to hear what's important to you. And your child has to learn to trust that you genuinely want to hear that. Mm -hmm. That's why the work is for us. We have to do all the work to get to that point where we're not reactive. We're not getting our buttons pushed and we're not saying, you listen to me because I told you so. And who do you think you are? Yeah, that's really good. And it takes longer, does it not, to do the connected In the beginning it does. Yeah. In the beginning. It's like an investment. But yeah. after a while, it becomes second nature and you just you just talk differently all the time. And there are things that you may have said before you started this work that you couldn't anymore get out of your mouth and fly to the moon after you've uh, really okay. gotten okay. it. I feel so lucky that when my son was in preschool, we put him in a co-op preschool and they taught us this concept. Ah. They didn't use the same words, but we had to volunteer in the school. And so we watched the teachers and it would take them 45 minutes to get these two kids to resolve whatever situation. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. my God. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's wonderful. But they were such good role models and taught me so, so, so much. So I am very appreciative of uh, Hilltop Preschool in Fountain Valley, California. Everybody go check them out. But it really did change my whole concept of parenting because otherwise I would have just done what my parents did. Right, exactly. And we don't trust our kids to know how to work things out. We don't think they can do it. But the thing that's wonderful about this is that once you get working in this way and you ask your kids, what do you want to do about it? How can you do that? How do you get what you want? That's Mm -hmm. basically the question you're asking. I want to help you get what you want. What is it you want Mm -hmm. and how are you going to get it? Mm. Because that never leads to doing something, you know, like I'm going to punch him out. And you, you know, you could say, oh, I definitely get why you feel like that. What do you think would happen Mm -hmm. then? Yeah. Yeah. So that's not going to get them what they want. So when you put your child in the driver's seat, when you're asking these questions, they have to put themselves in that situation and those neural pathways are firing in that prefrontal cortex and they're working at it and figuring it out. And we know what we know now is that the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until mid twenties. And I claim, I don't have research on this, but I have my own personal experience that when children are brought up with problem solving and feeling an important Mm -hmm. member of the family and like their opinion counts, their prefrontal Mm -hmm. cortex is firing a lot better than most of their teenage classmates. I bet. And we're wanting to empower them with being able to make those important decisions because we can't be with them all the time. That's right. And there's a lot of really critical decisions they have to be making all, all day time. long, especially yes. at school, so much peer pressure. Oh, I know. I want to circle back and grab the integrity kids because we, we talk about the harmony kids and they're much more common, right? Yeah. Harmony Harmony kids kids are are much more common. Yes. Well, so tell us what does an integrity kid look like? An integrity kid looks like the kid who won't take no for an answer and will not be told what to do and will fight you tooth and nail if you try to get them to do it. 
right? This is a, a demanding child. This is a resistant child. This is a dig-in-your-heels, stubborn child. And we typically get our buttons pushed by these kids, and we think there's something wrong with them. Okay. And because we think there's something wrong with them, then we go into the emotion of fear and worry and control, and mm -hmm. we want to control them. And so we then react yeah. with yelling and power struggles and anger and consequences and all of yeah. this stuff that yeah. we can't yeah. possibly let go of if we think this child is getting off on the wrong yeah. track. Yeah, it, it is scary, I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure fear is uh, the base of a lot of this stuff that we parents do that is not that productive. And your daughter was the integrity kid, right? My daughter was the integrity kid, okay. yep. So what are we supposed to do with our integrity kids? So here's the overarching sentence to emblazon in your, in your brain. It's not that she won't it's that she can't. Mm -hmm. These kids do well when they can. They don't do well when they can't. And we typically look at them with that frustration and anger and that won't just comes out really big. You won't do what I say. What is wrong with you? You are perfectly capable of doing that. Why can't you do what I say for once? And they hear that, and it's like we have rolled this enormous boulder in their path mm -hmm. to success, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that they can't cooperate and do really, really well. It's that they can't when they are given messages about themselves that take them down. These kids are very, very sensitive. Remember I said how Dr. Boyce called them exquisitely sensitive to their environment. These are kids who often have physical sensitivities, emotional sensitivities. Some have anxiety. It doesn't mean that a Harmony child doesn't because plenty of Harmony kids do, but these kids typically have a really hard time with transitions. Mm -hmm. They're inflexible. They want things a certain way. So when you're going to work with an integrity child, because they love to cooperate, they love mm -hmm. to please you, they are just wonderful when they're wonderful, right? <laughs> so what you've got to realize is that with these integrity kids, they have to feel that they are doing something on their terms. So instead okay. of being told what to do, you tell mm -hmm. them what you want done. I want this. Mm -hmm. How do you think you can make that happen? Okay. Integrity kids right. thrive on problem solving. They're brilliant okay. at it when they trust but if there have been years of, of feeling misunderstood, alone, scared, not accepted for who they are, mm -hmm. feeling that they're not as, as good as their brother, you know, I would say to my daughter a lot, I would say, it's got to be really hard for you to have a brother who it looks to you like everything is just coming so mm -hmm. easily for him. All these friends, mm -hmm. he's doing so well in school. Everything is going hunky-dory for him. Mm -hmm. And she yep. would just say, yes, 
like, oh my God, you understand, you know? Yeah. So it just feels so good to be understood, period. Exactly. That's the baseline, right? But we don't want to go there. We don't want to say it's got to be really hard for you when you see these kids in school who are getting along with the teacher a lot better than you are. We don't want to say that. Mm -hmm. And they know if they've, if integrity kids have harmony siblings, boy, one of the things you can be sure of is that they are watching the ease Mm -hmm. in your relationship with your harmony Mm -hmm. child. And they know that their relationship relationship with you is not easy at all. So it must take a while to turn that ship around. It does. If you realize this and go, oh, dang it, I got to treat this kid differently. I'm not approaching this the right way. What's the first step? They need to, they need to hire you as a parenting coach. (laughs) Yes, actually. (laughs) It's really looking within and looking at where you feel stuck Is it so very important to you to be right because you're the parent? Mm. What would it look like if you owned up to making a mistake and saying, you know, I've gotten this wrong? Mm -hmm. And what would your parents say if they thought that? You know, it's when you don't have that in your background, it's really hard. I'll tell you what happened with me and my daughter because it happened for me in a flash But the caveat is that I was teaching parent education. I, you know, had all the skills. I knew all of this stuff, but I still wasn't completely doing it with my daughter. But every single morning of preschool, it would just take forever to get her out of bed. It was like pulling stale taffy. And and (laughs) she just woke up so miserable and grumpy every morning. And she had this bottom lip that stuck out and it seemed like it was about three feet and I just wanted to cut it off every morning. She just would, whenever she was unhappy about something, that lip would come out. Oh, I just wanted to hit it. So we were in power struggles every morning of preschool and I knew that she loved her preschool. So it was about getting dressed. It was about getting up off the floor. And would you please, and Molly, just get your clothes on. Why do we have to fight about this? Why does this have to happen every morning? Just on and on and on, just lambasting her for being lazy and slow and all of these things. And one morning... I and I had been, you know, working on temperament, doing all this stuff, really engrossed in it. And one morning she came in, we got dressed together in in our bathroom, which was pretty big. And same lip sticking out, same miserable look on her face, same everything. But for some reason, I looked at her and I realized that I had thought she was out to get me. She was doing all this on purpose. And this particular morning, I mean, that's what had been my, my, what was running me. She's, she's just out to get me. Mm-hmm. And this morning I looked at that same face and I said, wait a minute to myself, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. She's not out to get me. She's miserable. And just thinking she's miserable took me out of my head. She's out to get me. She's doing this on purpose. She's just trying to get control. All those things we do in our heads when our buttons get pushed, we're just consumed in our own heads with our own thoughts and our own fears. Mm -hmm. And you can't reach out to somebody from that place. And you can't empathize. And so when I thought about how miserable she was, suddenly it 
became about her and not about me and what she was doing to me. Mm. And as soon as I thought she's miserable, then I thought, how can I help her? And it changed our relationship forever. That is so brilliant. And those same principles can be applied when you have a teenager that's using weed and you feel like they're trying to ruin your life. Right, right. And all all they want is to stop doing what they're doing and be successful, right? They want to, they really would love to. Yes. And that's the part we've got to connect with. Yes. And it's so hard and it's, I'm, I'm so glad you told us that story because if you were having that much trouble with your kid and you were in graduate school studying parenting and reading all the books, it just shows this thing is yes. really hard. Yes. It's really hard. Yes. And it, it doesn't just come naturally, but we really have to work on it. And then after you had that realization, everything shifted for you and you were able to see her perspective and see her as a whole human being. And Totally. Yeah. And then how did she turn out? How is she now? She's almost 40. She's, she's that orchid. She is spectacular. Uh, she's just incredible. She's a composer. She's a musician. She's oh, okay. teaching at Vanderbilt University. She's nice. just brilliant. And she's got more integrity in her little finger, I'll tell you. Uh, Woo, when that integrity matures, it's mm. incredible. It's really incredible. They really know who they are. Is that what you're saying? Like, yes, they know exactly who they are, where they stand. Well, they knew they know who they are, either harmony or integrity. If you allow them to be who they are, right? Uh, then they gain yeah. self confidence, and that's what we want our children to have more than anything else is self confidence. Yes. Then they can do anything they want and fly. Yeah, yeah, whatever they want to do, they'll they'll succeed if they have that self confidence. Well, this has been really, really helpful and delightful talking with you. I think you just have great energy and excellent advice and a wonderful concept of parenting that I think we could all learn from no matter where we are in our parenting journey, Mm -hmm. or even if you don't have kids, but have nieces and nephews or whatever. And yes, this is relationships with anyone, with your parents, oh, yeah. with your spouse. That's any relationship. Oh yeah, not just kids. Yes. I just happen to focus on this. Ah, oh man, my mind is being blown right now. Oh. <laughs> ah, yes. I gave a talk somewhere and I was standing outside after it was over and people were coming out and speaking to me and moving on. And this young woman came up and she said, I don't even have kids and you just solved the problem I've been having with my boss for the past six years. <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so <laughs> I love that. That is so great. Yeah. I love that too. Well, how can people get a hold of you if they would like to use you as a coach or just to follow you or communicate with you? What's the best way? My email is bh at bonnieharris.com. And my website is bonnieharris.com. And I give a free half hour consult to anyone who wants to see, uh, you know, if we're a good fit. And also, if anyone would like to be a guest on my podcast, see, my, my podcasts are these one-on-one sessions with parents. And so if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you get a session for free that way. Yeah. You can go to my website and right there at the top, you can listen to the most recent podcast. You can see the last few. You can listen to any one of them or go to wherever you get podcasts. And there's also a link to click on to fill out a form if you would like me to contact you about being on the podcast. 
And you can also, on my website, sign up for my newsletter. I send out a newsletter, free newsletter, twice a month with lots of good material. Nice. And I love listening to your podcast, just to be a fly in the wall, Mm. the way you guide parents and everybody's situation is a little different, but you can always apply the same concepts to whatever you're going through. It's true. It doesn't matter how old the kids are in the podcast or what the situation is, because I always focus on the parent. And And you deal with all the ages, right? All ages. Even adult children. You know, it's about relationships, right? Yeah. It's just about relationship. Well, is there anything I haven't asked you about or anything else you would like to say before we wrap up? Let me just say that the overarching expectation that you can take away, and this is an easy one to just keep going over and over in your mind. When you see your child behaving badly, I'll say just for the sake of using that word, think my child is having a problem, not being a problem. Nice. It changes your whole expectation. The worse the behavior, the more the problem is your child is having. And if you punish it, you are adding insult to injury. You are just rubbing salt in that wound because that's telling you how much pain they're in. Yes, I am on board 100% yes. with that. From our experiences, pain is at the root of all of this behavior that we've been mm-hmm. going through. And to have empathy for that pain. My God, it must be a lot of pain. Yes. So to go toward empathy and compassion. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. It's been wonderful having you on Safe Home Podcast. Thank you, Beth. I really enjoyed it. Make sure and share this episode, everyone, with other parents, you know, or family members and go check out Bonnie Harris's website and I'll list all that stuff on our show notes and go find Safe Home Podcast. Our website is safehomefamilies.com. You'll find on their uh, events and things that we're doing. I also have a new adoptive parent group if you fall into that category and doing lots of fun things. If you'd like to support Safe Home Families and the work we're doing, including this commercial free podcast, I invite you to join our Patreon. It's an easy way to just support us with a couple bucks a month. And you can find that at patreon.com slash safe home. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you always for your support of our family and our efforts to get the word out about all of these positive ways we can be with our kids and with our family members and with ourselves. So thanks again, Bonnie. And Bonnie and I want you all to stay stay safe. safe.